God, I, uh, I thank you for this Sunday, Father, a Sunday to be here, a Sunday to worship, a Sunday to read your word, a Sunday to consider you. Father, I thank you that, Father, again, you use people that are sinners turned saints because of the power of your name, the power of Jesus Christ, Father. I pray that today your name is proclaimed, and that this is all about you, Jesus, and in you and through you. In your name, amen. So this past February was a really dark time for me because uh, my beloved Patriots got beat uh, by, uh, by this no-name dude named Nick Foles, and uh, y'all are so offensive. And, uh, and so, so a city without hope all of a sudden had a whole bunch of hope. A uh, football team, uh, they win the Super Bowl. Tom Brady throws over 500 yards, and somehow this backup quarterback <laughs> beats him. And we lose the Super Bowl, and, like, Nick Foles goes from being, like, a no-name, bouncing around the league, to all of a sudden being a hometown hero. If you're from Philadelphia, like, Nick Foles is soon to be your mayor. Like, he is, soon, like, he is everything in the city of Philadelphia because he ushered in hope. There are people now after, after the Super Bowl that have debated what Nick Fo- what's his next move. Should he continue bouncing around the NFL? He's going to be a backup. Carson, Carson Wentz is coming back, and he's going to be a backup quarterback. Is he going to get traded, or is he going to go? What, what's going to happen with him? And people have actually said that he should just soak in the moment, buy a car dealership, name it after himself, open up a steakhouse, and live the rest of your life in the city of Philadelphia where you'll never pay for another meal, you'll never buy another drink. Life will be great for the rest of your life as you are the one that brought home the Super Bowl trophy. I imagine as we've continue on in the story about this long day with Jesus in the city of Capernaum, I imagine it, it may not be at the same level because that parade for the Eagles was like the fifth largest uh, peaceful gathering of people in history. Alicia was there. I heard it was crazy. crazy, but uh, And so you have this gathering. I'm sure the streets of Capernaum aren't like the Eagles parade, but you have people that were just healed the night before or, or that night, and now they're, now they're going to the, seats, the streets. You, ha- you have dads that have been in bed for their whole life. that that are now able to hug their children. You have the deaf now soaking in the hearing, the voices and the praising and the singing. You you have people that weren't able to to walk and they were brought to Peter's mother-in-law's house and their legs were healed and now they're running all and up and down the streets because their legs are finally working after their whole life. You have children that were healed and able to start doing that dance thing that they do now and that, that flossy dance, whatever that's called. You have people going berserks in the city. Because Jesus showed up and did something incredible. I'm not trying to compare him to Nick Foles because that's not what me from New England would ever want to do. But it's, it's, there's a similarity to that where Jesus is a hometown hero. And if you're waking up the next morning, what do you do? If I were to wake up, would, would, I, I, after done, doing all these great things in the city, I would wake up, go to the local diner, and expect somebody to buy me an omelet with egg whites, chicken, cheddar cheese, and spinach. I would expect that. But if Jesus wakes up the next day expecting people just to make him the hometown hero, is that his mission? Now, we would say, of course not. We know he's here to save mankind from their sins, and it's easy to say that until we have to put that into practice. And so Jesus, our story continues, the gospel of Luke, chapter 4, the very end of this chapter, it says, and it was, it was day, P 
he departed and, and went into a, a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Jesus, fully God and fully man, wakes up the next morning where I would wake up irritated and grumpy. Jesus removes himself and finds a place of rest. If Jesus, the Son of God, needs to find rest, how much more do you and I need to remove ourselves to find a place of rest? And what we know from the other Gospels, what we know whenever Jesus would remove himself like this, oftentimes it would be listed that he would be a man of prayer, that he would be going before the Father. So it's a, it's a fairly safe assumption that he's removing himself to pray, to find a new atmosphere. There's this dude that, that passes a church down in D.C. that says change of pace, change of place equals a change in perception. That perhaps this chaotic situation has Jesus mentally all over the place. And perhaps this change of pace, change of place is giving him a new perspective. A new, like, I need to remove myself to gather my thoughts. Have you ever been there in the midst of chaos where you just needed a moment? And Jesus gives himself that moment because sometimes it has to be an intentional decision. Sometimes in our chaos we get so consumed with the chaos that we have to make an intentional decision to remove ourselves. We've talked about walking away from chaotic people, divisive people, but now Jesus is walking away from a situation. He, uh, he's growing in popularity. Remember how we started this series? They tried throwing Jesus off a cliff. He goes in the synagogue, he's teaching, he, they don't like what he's saying from, the, from Isaiah, and they bring him to a cliff to kill him. Now they're seeking him out. Now he's, he's growing in popularity quickly. That in itself is a chaotic situation. He's highly sought after. And then this next morning, they, they wake up and they're, they're trying to persuade Jesus to, sit, to stay. There's no, there's no mention of force. This is, they're not trying to tie Jesus up and be like, you're going to stay here, homeboy, and keep on healing. They go with their words. In your chaotic situation, how many people are coming at you with their words? To persuade you into the chaotic situation that isn't in line with your mission, isn't in line with your calling. But with their words, they're pestering you to get into that chaotic situation that isn't meant to be your chaotic situation. Or maybe, maybe it's the adverse. Maybe it's you're in a chaotic situation and somebody loves you enough to be persuading you out of that chaotic situation. But in your chaos, you want to ignore them. Maybe this is an example to, to know and to pray and to consider the voices in our lives that we should be listening to and that we shouldn't be listening to. And that does demand a time of prayer, a time of, of God's word to know the voices that we should distinguish from. In part, maybe Jesus is able to say that these voices aren't the voices I should be listening to because he removed himself and slowed down for a second. Graham and I are good buddies, and sometimes he sends me these articles that I typically ignore. And, uh, but he sent me this one called Living in the Slow Lane. It's about being this thing about, like, minimalism, like, not owning stuff and, like, traveling to China with a backpack full of stuff, and that's it. Like, only a backpack. Like, I, would, I get hives thinking about traveling across the world with just a backpack, but Graham calls that life. And, uh, and so uh, he, he sent me this article about living in the slow lane. He, in, the, in the article, it suggests that you might need to, to radically do things differently and to enter into what they call the slow lane. And, and here are some of the triggers, they said. When we burn with frustration when a website or an app doesn't load instantly. 
when you get into a room like this with, with brick walls and you're like, oh, Facebook or, so, or, or Instagram's not loading and all, like, you're, like you actually start twitching. There might be an issue. When you look at somebody who takes a nap as a sign of laziness, when you check your email often, when you check your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, your Snapchat 15 times a day, and that's probably an understatement. When, when you eat instant oatmeal for breakfast, when you eat a frozen meal for lunch, when you do takeout for dinner, when you lose sleep over an upcoming deadline, or at the most extreme, when people cave to pressure in, in this world with harming themselves. Perhaps it's time to live in with a slow lane. Perhaps it's time to remove ourselves from the chaos. And, and, and so this article, I just wanted to quickly mention, they, they give these, these suggestions for, for living, living in, living in the uh, slow lane. They said, choose three things to accomplish each day. Some of us wake up in the morning with a, with a to-do list of like 45 items. Like that is chaos. But if you take this to heart and you do three things each day, there's seven days in a week still, I believe, and at seven times three is still 21, that by the end of the week, if you have 21 things that you have accomplished in any given week, I would, wouldn't you argue that's a pretty productive week? So, so maybe you need to shorten your list. Maybe we need to learn to say no. And when people keep putting their agenda on us, we have to learn to say no. Your mission isn't my mission. Like I learned is the power of the word no. So many of you live in this chaotic situation because you're yes, 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 yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> be, be, this is my favorite. I did this two days ago. Be unproductive. And their, their encouragement here is that you have to tap back to your childhood because that's when we were the most unproductive. Their, their encouragement is to go and think of like skipping rocks, climbing a tree, going for a walk. The things that you did to kill time when you were a kid, do that for 20 minutes a day. I walked my kids down to the bay and we did one thing. Well, I had two things. I kept them from jumping into the bay, but that, and we also were throwing rocks and skipping rocks into the ocean. It was the best part of my day. Perhaps in our chaos, we need to take 20 minutes to intentionally be unproductive. It says, check your email twice a day. This has been something that I've learned a great deal of value from. I check my email in the morning. I check my email in the afternoon. And I've learned that any emergency in the middle of the day that's coming through email, those people, if it's truly an emergency, they'll find other ways to get a hold of me. That 15 minutes a day, I'm not going, I'm not going to allow email to dictate my schedule any, anymore. Email breeds chaos. Embrace quality over quantity. Some of us, some of us have a t have a follow like 35 different blogs or 45 different Facebook pages. How on earth are you going to keep up with all of that stuff? Pick two that are really relevant. Pick two that really speak into your life and, and embrace quality over quantity. Find a hobby. You know what my hobby is now? Y'all going to want to come to my house. I didn't, my propane tank died, my propane grill died-ish, kind of, and I was, didn't want to spend a whole new bunch on a new grill, uh, so I bought a charcoal grill, which I, like, is an art, like, this is like a whole, like, burning the coals just right, uh, Michelle was there with her kids one day, and she saw it with Ava, like, I, I almost lit the house on fire, but I've learned it now, and how to light the grill, and, and then you can put, like, these wood chips in to bring out different flavors in the meat and stuff, it's awesome. Ava, Ava, uh, we, chicken last night, we made fajitas. She seasoned it. I did the whole uh, mesquite chicken or mesquite like flavoring and we had the best fajitas in the world because I have found a hobby called charcoal grilling that I really love. And you want to know one of the reasons I love it? Because it's not an instant switch. I'm not turning the propane tank on and immediately going to town. I have to sit there for hours doing nothing <laughs> and I get to because I found a hobby. 
removing myself from the chaos. Or, and the last one they said is spending time with people that you love. And there's something that they said, it's something I've said, is that you won't regret when you die or when you're on your deathbed that you spent so much time with people that you actually care about. If we don't remove ourselves, it's easy to be physically present but increasingly less effective. And so in the midst of chaos, are, are you trying to play God? Are you so important in the midst of your chaos that you can't take a break? Doesn't that make you God? <laughs> Why do you always have to be in control? So we should be taking moments of relaxation, sabbaticals, vacations, PTO days, doing something to, to remove ourselves from chaos. And then when we do that, we'll learn that there's perspective, perspective to be had when we slow down. And you need to learn the people in your life that need to speak into your life, that can help you slow down. Because there's, gonna be, there's always going to be voices in your life. There's always going to be people attacking you. There's always going to be the general public thinking that you're not good enough or thinking that, that you're just lazy or thinking, thinking that there's, there's always critics and they're usually ignorant. So who are the trusted people in your life to tell you that when you're, yeah, you should be working harder or when you shouldn't be working harder? Have those trusted people in your life and protect your time from the people that don't speak well into your life. If Jesus found rest to be our priority, so should we. And so from this state of rest, as people are pleading for him, as they're, as they're coming at him, he moves on and he says, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. In the Gospel of Luke, this is the first time the kingdom of God, that term has been used. You know why? Because where Jesus is present, there is the kingdom of God. And he's arrived on the scene, and he's ushered in the kingdom of God. And this isn't the last time that this, this is going to be mentioned. He says, I must go to these other towns. I must preach good news. So think about this for a second. There's a need in Capernaum. More healing, more good things. To heal people, we would say, is a good thing, isn't it? But if we understand his, his message of, of good news and saving mankind from their sins, wouldn't we understand that if Jesus had stayed, that would have been selfish. And the scope of the greater mission, keeping it in-house, is selfish. And so Jesus moves on and gives it to them as it is. I have to go. You know what he didn't say? Something that we say every single day. I don't have the time. You heard that phrase before, right? It's been said to you. A dad to their kid when they want to play catch. I don't have the time. A boss to, to, to an employer or an employee to the boss. I don't have the time. Here's what I've been challenged with recently by a guy named Kerry Newhoff. You and I have the same amount of time, don't we? 60 seconds still make a minute? Are there still 60 minutes in, in an hour? Are there still 24 of those things in, in a day? Still seven in a week? So you have the same amount of time that I have, don't I? Isn't time a fixed thing, a fixed commodity? What we're saying when we say we don't have the time is that what is before me is no longer a priority, that this isn't a priority for me. Jesus was willing not to be passive and be like, I just, homeboy, don't got time for this. I'm out, like, peace. He says it as it is. This, this isn't my mission. This isn't why I'm here. This isn't a priority for me. And maybe we have to start embracing that and thinking through our list of priorities. And here's one way that you can do it. This isn't my phone, but check out, you get, you, for all you iPhone users, sorry, Android people, you're just not part of the club, and you, it's too bad. But if you, I'm going to do this right now. If you go to your settings and you scroll down to, uh, to battery, right there at the bottom, 
will tell you the very things that you spend that drains your battery. I have to admit that for me, the Bible app barely scratches the top, the top of my, my top ten. And if I were to be honest, World Series of Poker is number one <laughs> in draining my battery. Because I play the World Series of Poker to give my brain a break. But when I do that, you know what I'm doing? I'm ignoring Ava, my kids, my Celtics, <laughs> other things. So what's draining your battery? And is even the excuse I don't have the time really holding up? People in Capernaum are trying to put Jesus on their agenda. And they should have been on Jesus' agenda. And he tells them, this isn't my, this isn't my thing. This isn't, this isn't my mission. If I choose what you're calling me to choose, I would be choosing what is good over what is best. And good is the biggest enemy to best. And so, he, and so here's, here's how this section ends. It says, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. A.K.A. Jesus leaves. I'm out. He leaves. And so he, he leaves in proving to them that this kingdom of God is not provocantially, it's not, it's not meant for one province, it's not meant for one town, it's not meant for one location, it's meant for all of mankind, it's meant for everybody. I have to go to these other places, I'm not going to be tied down to Capernaum. I must go throughout the land and preach the good news that I have arrived. I, there is a fulfillment in this. There is, a, there is a statement of release that you have an issue with sin that you can't handle on your own. And you've been saying in your scriptures, there's coming a Messiah. I need to go to the synagogues and say, here I am. Messiah is here. And we're ushering in the kingdom of God that isn't meant for Capernaum alone. And so he leaves. He leaves people in major need. Had he stayed, though, it would have been mission failure. Like, you're, you're Nick Foles of Capernaum. Isn't it tempting to stay? Isn't it tempting to make this all about you? Isn't it tempting to breed and, and, to, and to embrace this chaos where you become hero, where you become, like, the, the pinnacle of, like, you win the city? Instead of staying on mission? How many of them follow him? Peter does. Peter grew up in a different city, but then went to, went to Capernaum, and, and he goes. But we don't see, like, revival breaking out because they saw Jesus as just a nice guy. Had Jesus just been a nice guy, guess what he's doing? He's staying. But since he's Lord and Savior, guess what he does? He leaves to go and pursue the mission that takes him to be Lord and Savior. And guess, and, and when he leaves... He goes to the cross, he rises again, a few days later, 40 days later, he, he, he ascends up into heaven, and as he's about to ascend, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't look at his disciples and go, TTYL, I'll talk to you later, guys, I'm out, see you soon. He says, go, go. The mission I have accomplished is now your mission. My purpose has become your purpose. So are you going to go and to do likewise? Are you going to teach people about me? Are you going to baptize them? Are, are you going to grow disciples? Are you going to grow followers of Jesus Christ? I don't want you to keep this in-house. I don't want this to be a selfish endeavor. I want go, go, go. And thankfully, they started going. And it reached generations later, a guy like Gabriel. Check out his testimony video. So um, how I handle uh, the chaos in my life, um, 
well, I have, we all have chaos, for, for example, for me, it's um, school plus work and then the commute from North Jersey um, to the city, going to work and then go to school and then come back. And then um, I come here on Sundays and Tuesdays. So it's like, um, I have to manage my time really well and I'm, I find myself stressed a lot, but um, I hold on on Philippians where it says that, um, do not be anxious, but present every situation to the Lord in prayer. And I think um, the moments that I find myself stressed and anxious are the moments where I wanna take control of my life. But um, when I realize that God is in control, I think um, my chaos becomes um, peace because I know that um, God is in the midst of everything that I do. And even though I might not um, feel it or I might not uh, acknowledge at the moment, um, I take a minute, I pray, and, and I thank God because in every situation, he's there. This young man mentions that uh, he's a man of prayer and that helps him find peace in the midst of chaos. When have we removed ourselves to try to find a moment to go before God in prayer? We have our mission statement here at Wellspring is that we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community. And so part of the re way that we attack this mission and, and making the mission part of what we do is that we pray for one, that we, we wake up in the morning and we start praying for people that don't know Jesus and we, we ask God for opportunities to share his love because to keep it in-house is selfish. Now, does that mean that, that discipleship, does that, that, does that mean that growing believers in their walk with Jesus isn't important? Of course not. People that fall more in love with Jesus are able to talk about him more and more and more. They're motivated to talk about him more and more and more. And it leads to, check, check out this, this comment from, from uh, one of our own. She posted this this past week after church. She said, I haven't been in church for two weeks. I was away. Today as we worshiped, I looked around at all the people in there and the people I have grown to love. Some people I've talked to twice, but, but their strength fuels me. I watched, for, I watched Ava pray for her husband. Thank you, Ava. I heard Carly sing with passion. I saw Michelle and Lori both with injuries greet people with true passion and love. I watched Heather genuinely smile at everyone who passed her. I, I saw the Langworthys worship as a family. I saw Courtney greeting newcomers with excitement. I could go on and on, but my point is that I love you, Wellspring. Every, every single one of you ha gave me an immense amount of strength. You, you are never anything less than genuine. I am so beyond blessed to have all of you as brothers and sisters in Christ, all of their love of, on Jesus and, and one another. Because I believe that relationships, that God uses relationships to fuel growth. I, I talked with Mary and Laura yesterday who were, who were interacting with people from their life group, visiting in the hospital, praying with people. Why? Because relationships are, are one of God's agents to fuel growth. I have seen Alicia grow through relationships. I have seen Courtney grow through relationships. I have seen Quinn, Quinn and I have had major conversations in the past year, and I can tell you that through people investing into Quinn, Quinn, you have grown. Don't give up. Keep growing and get into a relationship where people can come alongside you and say, let's kick it in gear. Let's, let's highlight the next step in discipleship. Here's something that I see you struggling in. Here, here's what I see in God's word as we chew together on it. You go into a life group, and then you get into a smaller group of people. You grow in that, those smaller relationships that helps fuel growth. And in the midst of those friendships, maybe it's those friendships that are going to help you attack this big, big thought for us this morning to make decisions based on your God-given purpose. In chaos, we want to ignore a 
our purpose. In chaos, we want to ignore the mission. In chaos, we want to stay in Capernaum instead of going throughout Judea to preach the good news. And so we need to make decisions based on our God-given purpose, which will force us to ask, are we on mission with Jesus? Is, is my mission, my end goal every single day, is it the end goal that God wants me to have? And if I'm living with the priority of the mission that God has left with me, that means it's going to change your budget. It's going to change your calendar. It's going to change what you're doing with your time, where you're putting your energy. When it, when it comes time to buy a new car or pay off a debt, your priorities will dictate that. Your mission will dictate that. When it comes time for a new purse or to write that tithe check, your mission, your purpose will dictate that. When you, when you open up your Google calendar, is it, is it full with all of these things that at the end of the day you're like, I don't have time for Jesus. Where, where are the priorities? Is it, is it not Jesus? I don't have time for God's word. Do you have Bluetooth in your car? Get the Bible app, the Version Bible app, and let it read to you as you're riding in your car. It's glorious. Because it's not that you don't have the time. It's that it's not a priority. And so my challenge is something that we did similarly at the beginning of this challenge. On your way out, you're going to be handed a challenge card. And it's a little bit of a twist. I want to encourage all of us to get into God's Word, to make it a priority. Five days this week, and there's passages, which Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And each one of these passages have elements of prayer. Either somebody praying, or it's a teaching on prayer. And so instead of just reading, which was the first challenge we did at the beginning of this series, this now, I, I want us to, to read, read these passages surrounding prayer, and then pray, pray. Take the time to, to remove yourself from the chaos and go before God. And as you go before God in prayer, having read about prayer, maybe through prayer, God is going to guide you in, into service. Maybe he's going to guide you into a life group. Maybe he's going to guide you to, to the voices that shouldn't be heard anymore and the voices that should be heard in your life. Maybe, maybe that, that impending divorce will be, and the decisions that you have to make will become that much more clear. May, maybe the decision that you have to make about your living situation, maybe the decision you have to make about a vacation or a summer job or an internship will be just so happen to become all the more clear as you spend time in God's word as you go before him in prayer and let him organize the chaos and make those tough decisions. So that's my challenge for us this week. Because if we fail to do it and we take our mission as more important than God's mission, then we start working against God. We don't want to do that. We live opposed to God as, as, instead of for him. Doesn't mean that we won't find chaos. Jesus found chaos by living on mission. And so is the chaos in your life the right chaos? And will it take you and fuel you, fuel you to the end? I knew somebody at, uh, at Karen University. He was the oldest that you could be when, uh, when to live in the dorms. He was like 28 years old, and he, and he was like super, super tall. And I remember him walking by the table in the cafeteria, and I'm sitting there eating my lunch, and I, like as a stupid college kid, I'm just like, What's up with this guy? Why is he allowed? Like, he's so stupid old. And now I'm like, oh, he's young now. But anyways, he's so stupid old at that point. And, and they're like, do you know his story? I was like, no, I'm a new kid on the block. I don't know his story. And they told me his story. He's 28 years old, and he jumped into college late because his best friend uh, died in 9-11. Uh, in and as he was dying, as, 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 as he was 
living in his last moments, he called his best friend that he had been witnessing to and, and left a voicemail saying, this God thing, this Jesus thing, it's for real. You have to pay attention to it. I don't know if I'm going to make it down or not, but, but, but take hold of this. Think about this. Take, take hold of this Jesus thing. It, his life was so geared towards mission that in his dying moment where he could have called a whole slew of people, he called the best friend to say, take this Jesus thing seriously. And he did. And he went to a Bible school to get a Bible degree and to to jump into mission, jump into purpose, not caring if he's the old guy on campus because this is what he's called to do. I skipped this part in our text to to end with it. Jesus, if you have a physical Bible, I want you to write it and write the cross over Jerusalem. Because Jesus, in that last verse, show that map. It says that he had to leave and go to the synagogues in Jerusalem. Do you know what that means? He leaves the comfort of Capernaum. He leaves being the Nick Foles of Capernaum. And he travels throughout Judea. In Judea, there's Jerusalem. He says, I have to leave the comfort of being this hometown hero. And I have to leave and travel to these synagogues. And guess what I'm going to do when I'm in these synagogues? I'm going to tick off the right people. And you know those people that I'm going to make mad by saying, here's the Messiah? They're going to throw me on a cross. Don't worry, guys. I'm coming back in three days. I will conquer. This is the good news, that death won't hold me down. It won't hold you down. I'm leaving Capernaum for a much greater purpose, to be Lord and to be Savior, because he goes to the synagogues, he winds up in Jerusalem, and he dies for you and I. Living a life of mission and purpose may not get rid of all your chaos, but you'll find peace in the midst of chaos. You'll be in the right the right kind of chaos. Give it your all. And at the end of the day, echo Paul's words. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, let's go. Jesus is living, he's alive, and he has given us life. Let's not keep this in-house. Let's go. Let's sing of that love.